Welcome to episode 200 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we have talked about so many important and awesome and terrible things over the years. I am Karen Peterson. Celebrating with me is Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that was so far away and quiet. I didn't. I'm sorry. I should. I should. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can hear this tiny, tiny little voice. <laughs> Maybe it took a moment for my microphone to kick back in or something like that. Because I yeah. was on mute there. <laughs> um. How are you? Uh, cold and damp. I am really pissed off because it was really nice last week and then now it's just raining. But other than that, I'm fine, tired, you know, mm-hmm. with the world, um, which, you know, I, I kind of feel like that this is a wonderful sort of place to be in for our 200th episode because so much of this podcast has been taken up being like, why, why must men be like this? Like Exactly. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. So, it's but so happy exhausting. to be here with you. Yeah, same. 200 episodes. Did you... So, let's go back to 2017. And we're going to celebrate five years this fall. Um, Yeah. But but 200 episodes is a significant milestone. When you first agreed to sign on to this, did you expect that we would still be doing this 200 episodes later? Um... No, no, I mean, not really. I kind of figured, and and this this was the con- the concept uh, was very different, obviously, when this whole podcast started. Um, but uh, and it's kind of changed a lot as as time has gone on, and and uh, Kristen and Kim left, and you know all of that stuff. Um, but no, I mean, I I kind of figured, oh, this would be fun to do. You know, we'll see where it goes. That kind of thing. I didn't have particular expectations about it. Um, I, I'm glad that it has gone on for as long as it has, uh, and and that we've been able to to continue to talk about film stuff. Mm-hmm. What about you? You know, I, I really didn't know, and I never really thought much about it. You know, it was just very in the moment. I've talked about you know the how this podcast came to be before, but um, you know, it, it was one of those things where. It was like I just really needed a place to to share to share my thoughts about what was happening in the world and really be able to dig in from that female perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I, I, it's weird because at the time I was still doing award circuit like that still existed uh, in its former form, and I was on that podcast and they would let me, you know, express my feminist views on things, but it never felt like, it never felt like I was part of, I don't know, part of like a, a group of like-minded 
individuals. And so that was where this podcast really was so good for me. But as for how, you know, where I thought we would be five years later and if I thought we'd still be doing it, probably not. Um, but I didn't really worry about that because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my main focus. I just needed something in the, in the then. <laughs> Um, and, and it's crazy. And we, we've also definitely talked about this a lot over the, over the years too, but it's, it's just so crazy how we, over that summer of 2017, when the four of us came together and decided this is something we were going to do, um, you know, we were just excited to talk about film from a female perspective and, and to give our you know, feminist view of what was happening in Hollywood, we never could have expected or guessed what was about to happen. And yeah. it's so weird because I don't know if you remember this, but we had actually recorded an episode and there were so many audio problems. And I was still, I, I had just, I was just in the beginning of learning how to record or how to edit audio. Mm -hmm. And so we had so many audio problems on that episode that we weren't able to release it. So there was like a secret episode one that never made it to air. That was like our pilot <laughs> that got scrapped. <laughs> and then we recorded the first episode, which was ended up being the Devin Faraci stuff. That had, None of that had even happened when we did our, our test episode. Yeah, I, I I remember that, and then and then the Harvey Weinstein stuff <laughs> happens, mm -hmm. and like and for a while there, it was like we I mean we basically made a joke out of it that every single week we were like oh we don't have to talk about garbage people this week, and then something else would happen. Right. Like yeah. I I remember the Kevin Spacey stuff. We had actually talked about like oh what are we going to talk about this week, you know? And and they're just like well we don't have to deal with with you know the garbage people that'll be a nice break. <laughs> and then like that Wednesday or Thursday I think was just like oh by the way. Kevin Kevin Spacey, it's just, fuck my life. Yeah. <laughs> and like, um, yeah, no, it's it's wild. We just sort of we accidentally hit it where you know you had the Devin Faraci stuff, and then not long after that was was, oh, um, was Harry Weinstein, was, Harry yeah. Knowles, yeah, like all of that stuff. And the Devin Faraci and Harry Knowles is much more specific to um, obviously to film criticism. There are people that are listening to us who are just like no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but both still on Twitter and still active in the film community, and both still life. have big followings. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm still I'm so mad about. It. I feel like. I feel like Knowles is is sort of he's kind of anathema in a lot of ways, but just through sheer force of I don't give a fuck has has continued to to kind of function. Mm -hmm. Farachi has tried so many times to sort of rebrand himself and everything, and and there are people who are obviously accepting it and are being like, well, no, he's really sorry. It's just like I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit if he's really sorry. Like, and the the other thing that we talked about is that none of these guys. Uh, a lot or a lot of the guys who have like been outed as as harassers as uh, people who've committed sexual assault etc um it's kind of like they haven't been indispensable to the film community in fact they've actually create they actually created toxic environments mm -hmm. um you know I, I i know some people who prior to all of the stuff that went down with farachi um what, or all the stuff that came out about farachi like he had basically told them to kill themselves yeah and and, and this was just in like a, a normal way of talking. That was kind of the kind of shit he did. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so this whole idea that he was like indispensable or that he was like an important voice or something like that. It's just like, no, he's not even a particularly good writer. 
Um, you know, if, if you're going to be that much of an asshole, I think that you should like have the good grace to actually not be mediocre. Right. Um, and at least earn that. Yeah. Yeah. At least be like, oh, you know, you're an asshole, but at least you're talented or something like that. But you're just, fuck if you're not even that. Like, I, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, but then the Weinstein stuff happened and, you know, and, and the whole Me Too movement, like all of that stuff kind of happened around about the time that we were just like, oh, we'll start this film up. <laughs> um, so yeah, it definitely took some turns that I think that no one involved was expecting. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah, well, in that whole fall of 2017, like you say, there was it was just like one thing after another. It was just like dominoes falling or a house of cards or something. And uh, it was just, it was crazy to watch. And it was crazy how that really wasn't our what we were going for when we started this. But it kind of yeah. became a little bit of a mission was just to educate people on um, just the reality of of the world and what was happening. I, we had so many conversations about, you know, the casting couch and how, you know, just because it's something that's quote unquote always been done, doesn't make it right. And stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I don't know. It just, it's crazy. But the good thing is that eventually they rooted out a lot of the, the terrible and we were able to get back into just what we originally had set out to do, which was, you know, talking about, movies and the industry from a female perspective yeah and looking at at the great conversations we've had over the years i'm really proud of of the show and i'm really proud of of us and i've personally learned so much from from being able to do this and Mm -hmm. um we actually got some great questions this week and we'll get into all of these things but there definitely are so many things that like my mind has been opened in a lot of ways and i i've been able to kind of expand my horizons because of this and and i'm gonna get a little a little like sappy for a moment here but also one of the things that i'm really glad about with this podcast is that (laughs) you and I became friends and that probably wouldn't have happened. Otherwise we would have just been Twitter people who occasionally, yeah. you know, <laughs> fought the same battles, but we never, yeah. we never would have met. So no, it, no, we did. Yeah, yeah exactly. Me, me too. You know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about Twitter and you know, what's going to happen with Twitter and all of that. But this, this whole kind of thing, like I knew, I knew Kristen, I knew you, I knew Kim through Twitter. That was the first Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, connection. And that's been one of the important things about social media generally, but, but Twitter specifically is because it has, it's terrible, but it's also great. And it's this, this whole experience of community. So, so yeah, I mean, like you and, and Kristen kind of brought me and Kim on and there was a, there was a concept for a different format. Um, and then it kind of, it just sort of turned into the four of us, et cetera. And, and yeah, and now it's like the two of us. And again, that, that would not have happened. Right. Um, and, and I'm like, like you, I'm very glad that it did. Yeah. And I can't wait to actually meet you in person. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be kind of, you know, I've met some, so people that I know, like just, just online, I've met people. In fact, one of, one of my friends here actually lives in New York now, um, Diana Drum. Uh-huh. I met her for the first time at the Tribeca Film Festival several years ago. And she, like, literally, I was walking past her and she's like, are you Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I looked at her and I was like, I vaguely recognize this person because I recognized her from her profile picture. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, uh, 
type Diana. <laughs> and it was this weird thing because we we chatted a lot on on Twitter. We'd like had conversations, etc. We were friends on Twitter, but absolutely just like hi. <laughs> like, it was very weird. It was a weird experience. But yeah, I have a feeling it's going to be so just like hey hey girl it's you you're a human being like a a full person with a body and everything (laughs) yep i don't know well and and just on that subject too it's really funny when you meet people in real life and like i have had more than once people say hey i recognize you from the internet and that is a terrifying thing to hear out in public (laughs) Like, what do you mean? What do you recognize me from? Why do you know me? <laughs> I've, I've actually, I've had a similar experience where I've met people that then I realize who they are on Twitter. And I'm just like, oh, I've called you an idiot multiple times. <laughs> um, I'm, I, and, and it's, it's one of those things where I, I think that both of us kind of know, but we're not acknowledging the fact that, you know, so-and-so has blocked me on Twitter because I called her a dingbat or something <laughs> like that. Um, and, and it's like, oh yeah, we got to remember that, that we are actually people and that sometimes the personas that we have on Twitter are also not the same thing as, as who we are in real life. It's true. It's true. Although I will say there is one very prominent, uh, person on Twitter who works for a major outlet and we went to the same film festival. He was actually a jury member that year at this festival that we were at. And it was a very small one in a small town. And he, I was trying to ask him a question because I had never been there before and he clearly had. And I was trying to figure out how to get to the hotel. And he full on ignored me like, <laughs> like I was not even there. And okay. he had recently blocked me on Twitter for saying mean things about Green Book. And I was like, oh, he blocked me in real life too. <laughs> like, I don't exist to him. This is so <laughs> odd. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the other side of it. There are definitely people where I'm just like, I know who you are because I've seen you at film festivals or like there's a there's a film critic actually lives in my building. Um, And (laughs) and I really do just want to go up to him just like, I fucking hate you. I just fucking hate you. (laughs) And I know that like you have no idea who I am. I just be like, I just I just want to let you know you've never met me before. I hate you. I hate you so much. Your takes are awful. I will Venmo you $5 if you do that. <laughs> I think he actually lives in a different, like, I live in a complex. I think he actually lives in a different building from mine. So it's unlikely I'd be on the elevator with him. But if I were, I'd be like, you're fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. So, um, well, to revisit the subject of garbage people, of course... We wouldn't be celebrating 200 episodes if we didn't have new garbage people to talk about again. Well, and one is not even new. Um, so, <laughs> this weekend, garbage people. Haven't had to do that in a while. Um, so, earlier this week, I don't know, folks who aren't on Twitter probably did not catch any of this because it hasn't been picked up really by the media. But Carrie Fukunaga, uh, who a lot of people love and adore. I've always had kind of mixed feelings on, but I love his uh, creativity. Um, He has been accused now by three different girls, young girls, of grooming them. And while all three say that nothing ever officially, like, happened and crossed the line, 
and they were all over 18 at the time. Uh, it's really concerning the way that he uh, has apparently has this pattern of befriending girls that are much, much younger than he is. He's, he's in his 40s, and he's... Any person that's in their 40s and wants to hang out with 20-year-olds, you gotta just wonder what's going on there. Um, and especially when it's men with young girls or boys, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it's it's one of those things where it's like they're not accusing him fully of of actually, you know, any sort of misconduct or assault or anything like that, but it is definitely raising some concerns. And I, you know, it does make me wonder what really happened with it because he was originally supposed to direct it. Mm -hmm. And the story I heard in the first place when he walked away from that project was that he wanted it to be he wanted to split the book into two movies and the studio didn't want to they only wanted it to be one so then he left for creative differences and then they hired andy machete and then ended up making it two movies anyway that was what i had heard way back in the beginning then i remember the story changing and it was that he was having all these disagreements about other things not related to how many movies it was going to be on the set and that there were some other problems on set. So now I'm, now it just makes me wonder all over again, like what was the real story there? Cause he's working with kids on that show. Yeah. And you know, and, and you know, you don't want to go too conspiracy theory or anything right. like that, but there's definitely some elements of the book it mm -hmm. that are troubling about in terms of the sexualization of children. Right. Um, and especially girls. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and it's kind of like when when this stuff came out, I vaguely remembered the the mention of Fukunaga in um, in relation to to an actress that basically had said, "I don't want to do nudity," and he was and he was then pressuring her into doing nudity mm -hmm. um, on on I think it was a set of True Detective. Yeah, and and it was one of those where it sounds like she had basically said, "I won't do nudity." He was like, "Okay, fine. That's you know we will agree on that." And then when it actually came to the point of the scene where they wanted her to do nudity, they're like, well, you have to. And it's like, no, I don't have to. This is not, uh, this was our agreement. I, I'm not doing this. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't want to do it. Um, and then it went back and forth. And then they, and what she was saying is that they were like, okay, fine, whatever. And then basically she got fired after that. Uh, and that kind of behavior that kind of behavior is very disturbing no no matter what no matter like that doesn't cross the line into sexual harassment or anything like that but it is it is basically disrespecting people's boundaries it's disrespecting your your actors and creating an a dangerous set for people mm -hmm. yeah for anybody who's not familiar with him by name um just a quick rundown of some of the things you might have seen that he directed so um one of his his first big film was seen nombre um, and then he did Jane Eyre, which was a version of Jane Eyre that I actually thought was pretty good, um, with Mia Wachowska, or Wasik, I can never say her name right, <laughs> Mia Wachowska and Michael Fassbender, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he really, um, uh, he really hit kind of, quote unquote, the big time when he did True Detective for HBO, uh, he did the first season of that. And, um, I've never actually 
I watched some of the second season because it's a to- it's an anthology so- show, so there's different characters and different stories every time. But um, everyone I know has said that the first season is the very best one, so okay. And then he did Maniac for Netflix, which had Emma Stone and um, um, Jonah Hill. And yeah, um, I remember this. Yeah, and I really liked that. And then most recently, he just directed No Time to Die, um, which was a big farewell to James Bond, at least the Daniel Craig one. So, well, and and he kind of got brownie points because he was talking about how the Sean Connery Bond is basically a rapist. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, that he was very critical of kind of Bond's um, sort of very misogynist background. Yeah, well, that's and, the thing. Kerry Fukunaga has been very vocal in support of women, in yeah. support of the Me Too movement, and there's you know, in Rachel Rochelle Vinberg, who's one of the one of the actresses, who she was the first one to speak out, um, and on her Insta stories, she was just basically like, you know what? I just keep seeing all this praise for him. And I just, today's the day I can't stay quiet anymore. And so she went on this very long Instagram, uh, story, just like explaining everything that happened and, and kind of what their relationship was. And that was one of her things is that he supposed, or no, maybe it was the other two girls. So after she posted this, then two other girls, twins, um, also spoke up in support of her and said, yeah, it happened mm-hmm. to us too. And they were talking about specifically that he didn't want them to talk to anybody about this because how would that look with me too and stuff like that. So, yeah. Well, it's it's one of those, and I, I hate to say it, I think that, that this is something that we've learned actually across this podcast and in real life. Um, has been this kind of suspicion that the more outspoken a, a male creator is about Me Too, mm-hmm. the more I distrust him. And you, you look at someone like Joss Whedon, who's kind of been, who's kind of, you know, he was venerated as this great feminist uh director and writer etc and then you know and then we found out all of the shit that we do about him and then when you actually begin to look back at the art that he produced you begin to question just like maybe he wasn't as feminist as we were saying that he was maybe we just kind of made some assumptions um without really looking into what the art was and you know again i I don't believe in again i do believe to a certain degree of, of separating art from artists and saying like you know just because joss whedon wrote it does not mean that he was in 100% control of it or anything like that. But you do begin to, to then look back at things and be like, maybe this dude wasn't as great as we made him out to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a, an important element, I think, of, of critically watching things is not to make assumptions that because, you know, the male, the male creator has been outspoken about something does not mean that his, his art is supporting what he's saying. Right. Um, and that's that's something to definitely pay attention to, which doesn't necessarily mean that he's he's an, uh, a sexual harasser, that he's an abuser or anything like that. But it's something to watch and kind of be like, you're, you're not practicing what you preach, it seems, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, I mean, in some cases, it's it's just, you know, men not recognizing where they slip up. You know, I do know some really great allies who occasionally we'll say things and I'm just like, dude, do you realize how that just came across? And then they'll be like, oh, wow, no, I didn't. Thanks for pointing that out. Or, well, but I didn't mean it that way. And you know, I'm better than that. It's like, but are you? <laughs> you know, and, and 
I think one of the big things that I I personally have have really not learned but really started to become more vigilant about or focused on is really rooting out you know just because someone says they're says the right things about you know supporting women look at what they're doing and look at at what kind of uh, projects they work on and what sorts of things are happening behind the scenes because that tells you a lot more than anything that they can say about themselves yeah definitely so yeah carrie fukunaga and also (laughs) this week um just yesterday actually um fred savage was fired from the new wonder years spinoff which has not been um picked up for a second season yet but it did just conclude the first season it is um it is basically um it's like the old the original show that made him a star but it is the story of a black family living in the 60s in alabama and so it's a it's a different take on it, but it's still the same idea where you've got this, this, the story is about this kid who his life is being narrated by an older version of himself. And Fred Savage was the exact as an executive producer on this series and also directed a couple of episodes. And he's now been fired for, um, misconduct, um, for basically he's, he, <laughs> um, Sorry, trying to get the article to open up. Um, Yeah, so there was an investigation because there were complaints that he had been inappropriate on set. And um, it's not super specific what types of things he was doing, but um, basically whatever the investigation found, they decided that they needed to to let him go. So he's gone. The thing is that a bunch of people were so surprised and I was like, I don't, I feel like we've known these things about Fred Savage for years. And so I was reading, there's a deadline article that we'll link. And sure enough, uh, first of all, the, the story is that the original Wonder Years show was canceled when he was 16 years old because of him uh, or because of a sexual harassment suit that was filed and he was involved in that. And also the actor that played his brother, I believe, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that they were involved in this. And that was when he was 16. And then I remember, um, several years ago, there was a TV series on Fox. It was called the grinder. I didn't remember what it was called, but I remembered he was on this Fox show and, uh, it was like a workplace comedy and there was a lawsuit then about, uh, uh you know, accusing him of, of or attacking and harassing an actress on set. And I, I, I remember hearing about that and then it just seemed like it quietly went away, which it was eventually, <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it was like settled out of court and stuff. Yeah. Like a lot of things are. And it was just, so it was like, I feel like I've just known Fred Savage was garbage for years and people just keep letting him do stuff. And so then it was one of those things where I started to question myself, like, wait, did I remember that wrong? Was it somebody else? Was he just being wrongly accused? You know, and now it's like, no, this is a pattern. It's been a pattern since the Mm nineties, since he was actually a child and he's just been given pass after pass and allowed to just continue to, to thrive in the industry. 
the the thing that amazes me about this sometimes is that it's Fred Savage, like he of the blandest stars that you could get. (laughs) Again, it's it's kind of like why protect these people? Like why protect people like Fred Savage? One of the things that I think is really, you know, you and it's good. It's it's good that we're actually we've actually seen in the past couple of weeks even a number of very high profile men getting fired or having production stopped because of their behavior. And so there there does seem to be an indication of a shift. Um, You know, we've talked a lot about how, you know, has has me to really had that much of an effect, all of this, you know, there's still all these abusive men who are in positions of power, et cetera. When you're seeing people like Fred Savage or Frank Langella getting like actually fired off of sets, you're all, you're seeing a, a, the, at least the beginnings of a shift within the industry, the industry that itself saying, this is a liability at the very least, you know, um, and, and then we're, we're trying to shift away from that. And so, to a certain degree, this is, it's a good thing to see people like this getting fired because it is kind of saying this is actually not something we're going to tolerate anymore. Yeah, definitely. It's also really telling to me, and maybe maybe this is me just having you know misplaced hope in certain people, but I, I think you can learn a lot about what's happening and where people's mindsets are by how they react to these situations. So. Yeah. So, for example, Frank Langella, he got fired from from uh, the the Fall of the House of Usher that he's working on, and which is a Netflix series. And so he gets fired. Now, reportedly, he's suing or looking at suing for wrongful termination. Meanwhile, you have Bill Murray, who was not fired, but definitely production was halted on something he was working on, and his experience and his his uh his reaction to that was like this has been a big learning moment for me and you know there's been a lot of stories about bill murray over the years and so i don't want to say oh see he's he's just an a plus guy you know like he's obviously not a bad person but i do think that the fact that he's not trying to say well i didn't do what i'm accused of or these guys are wrong or bitches be crazy or whatever the fact that he's actually taking this is like, huh, you know, I'm going to learn from this gives me gives me a little bit of a moment to stop and think like, OK, I, that is the that is the right reaction when you're accused of stuff, especially if you think you didn't do anything wrong to to stop and, and just listen to what people are saying. Yeah, well, I, I do think that a lot of these men, particularly older men, like have have functioned in a world where certain things are acceptable and. Uh, and they believe that they're acceptable. And so they continue to behave in the same way. And then they're basically told, by the way, this isn't acceptable. It was never acceptable, actually. Uh, and you need to stop. And so, yeah, the, the two responses are, well, how dare you say that I am behaving in an inappropriate manner? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other response would be, oh, shit, I'm really sorry. I, I will I will do better. I It wasn't my, you know, all of that. It wasn't my intention, but I'm, I'm sorry that I did that, et cetera. So, yeah, you, you definitely, I think that we've talked, again, we've talked a lot about on this, uh, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about how um, there are different ways of responding to this. And just because someone does something does not mean that, that we should just completely write them off. And I think that there are levels, basically. Um, but being willing to accept the fact that they they are wrong and and 
um, try to improve themselves is the goal, right? It's it's kind of like when, so, you know, you were talking about your your male friends who, who might sometimes say something wrong. Mm-hmm. And the goal is for you to say, hey, that's not cool. Don't Don't say shit like that. And for them to go like, oh, thank you so much for pointing that out. Um, that's, you know, I, I'm, I'll work on that. Not to be like, oh no, I'm totally 100% not like that. You know that. It's like, I don't though. Right. Like I don't, you know, we've talked about so many times how women don't know that you're safe. Women don't know that you're okay. Um, so our assumption is that no one is safe and no one is okay until you prove that you are. Mm-hmm. So if you say some nasty shit about women, I am going to be like, okay, well, you're saying what you mean. Yeah. Um, and then if you're if you're willing to walk that back and to say like you know what you're right i'm going to take a step back i'm sorry for behaving like that i will do better and then you actually do better awesome that's that's the goal it's not to like get rid of you yeah exactly exactly we just we want everyone to be better we don't want people to be garbage we don't want to have to be filing lawsuits and pressing charges and things yeah we actually don't want that that's not something we would like to do with our lives <laughs> no uh, contrary to apparently popular belief anyway um so let's stop talking about garbage people now yes let's talk about other fun things so um uh, we're gonna bounce around on the questions here so um let's jump to so sharon asked a question our awesome our awesome supporter sharon how does it feel to have talked about film for 200 episodes? Tired. <laughs> Tired. No, I, 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 well, I think that we kind of, we sort of answered this actually at the beginning where the, it's, it's oh. been very cool and it hasn't taken, like, it hasn't necessarily taken some of the directions that we thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, yeah, I like the fact that, you know, getting to come on every week and talk about movies and talk about different kinds of movies. And we've talked about film history. We've talked about um, f- different film theories. We've talked about, you know, celebrity culture, all sorts of stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, same. Um, like I had mentioned, you know, I, I used to be on the award circuit podcast. I have another podcast where I talk about movies, but that's a weekly review. So we review something that's new that week. Like this week, we'll be doing Doctor Strange. Um, it's different. What I really like about this show and what's been really great for these past 200 episodes is getting to really have interesting conversations that I feel like are pretty broad. You know, we do our bonus episodes where we'll talk about a specific movie, but our our regular episodes, it's more themes. And, you know, sometimes we'll talk about, you know, a specific movie or two, but I really love getting to just talk with, with you about film where you come from a more academic perspective and I don't. Um, and just the conversations that we get to have have really been uh, enlightening for me. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, and also it's just, it's just been fun. And, and it's introduced me to a lot of, of new movies and new uh, filmmakers and stuff that I wouldn't have seen before or hadn't seen before at least. So, yeah. So it feels fun. That's how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> and from Steve, what do you think the future of film criticism is? There's a bunch of questions in this. So let's, uh, let's, uh, I'll read the whole thing and then we can kind of break it down. Uh, we tend to talk about classic Hollywood film. What stands to be counted as classic post 1980 
What is historically valuable now and what would you add to your list? So I know that you really get upset when people refer to any movie post-1980 as a classic, but I would like to point <laughs> out <laughs> that in 1985, the 50s were 30 years before, and that's where we're at now. So <laughs> we're as far oh. removed from, you know, 1982 as 1952 was. In. True, true. And, and, I th and I think I understand the distinction that is actually being made here. I do want, I do want to say that this, this is why I was taught back in my old, <laughs> old grad school days. I realized how long ago I was actually in grad school. <laughs> realized this last night. Um, but one, one of the things that I was taught was, was the distinction between classic film and classical film. Yes. Um, and classical is when you're actually talking about sort of the the golden era of Hollywood. Um, and so so you are talking about a a uh, a very small kind of period, right? Classic film is a lot more nebulous and it, it is more of a pop culture distinction about you know what we refer to as classics. So films that are important historically, films that are influential, uh, films that are nostalgic at some level. So I think that there's a, there's a much more of a fluid definition of what a classic is versus what a classical film is. So I just want to make that distinction. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly how I would describe it too. And I'm glad that you said that. So what do you think the future of film criticism is? I, you know, I was thinking about this last night again, and I think that your distinction of influencers versus critics mm -hmm. is a really important one. And I hope it's one that we, we make more often because there seems to be such a conflation of what a critic does and what a, someone who's basically an influencer does. Um, on the one hand, I, I kind of have hope in the sense that I think that that people are thinking more critically about films. I think that some of the some of the, the current cultural shifts are actually being reflected in the way that we talk about films. So we talk about feminist criticism, we talk about um, uh, issues of race and of gender and of class and things like that. And, and that seems to be creeping into more pop cultural criticism. That seems to be coming up a lot more in places that I wouldn't necessarily expect it. So I do think that there's a good, uh, that that we're moving in a, in a good direction. I think that we're also moving in a bad direction on other hands because I, the, the idea of influencers and people who, people who honestly don't know what they're talking about, just kind of going off on sort of half-baked ideas or stuff that they read on Wikipedia um, without going more deeply into understanding how to do a, an analysis of film and this, this continued assumption that all you really have to do is say, is say your opinion, right? Um, without being informed. And the whole point of criticism is that it's an informed opinion. Right. Uh, which doesn't mean it's right and doesn't mean it's wrong. It is an, it's still an opinion, but it's gotta be based in some kind of knowledge. And that attitude of, well, we don't actually need knowledge is very disheartening. So I think that there are good things and bad things, you know, as, as per usual, we're probably gonna continue to muddle through. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think that there there does seem to be, um, I don't want to give people too much credit when they don't deserve it, but I, I do feel like in recent months I've seen more people, like, they're trying to stand out as influencers by starting to go a little bit more critical into their analysis of film. 
and actually starting to kind of analyze things a little bit, especially popular movies like the Marvel movies and stuff. And so it's like almost like they're accidentally actually becoming film critics when they didn't start out that way. And I find that interesting to watch. It's definitely not a widespread trend, um, but I'm definitely seeing that. So that that's the kind of thing that tells me that film criticism is never going to die. Um, there's always going to be room for for actual critics and for that critical analysis component to the art. But I do think that we'll see more of a divide between criticism and influencer. And I think where people land on on the line, which or which side of the line they land on, is going to be interesting to see. Um, and there might be some surprises there. I do think that, um, I mean, it's really hard to make a career out of being a film critic. And so I think that will continue to be the case. So I think it will be a more niche niche thing going forward, but I don't think it's ever going to really disappear. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so classic Hollywood. What stands to be counted as classic post-1980? So what are a couple of... What are a couple well, of post-1980 films that you think? You know, honestly, in terms of the importance, right? So if we're talking about importance to film history, importance in terms of influence, the first Iron Man, mm-hmm. I think, is is one of those things that it's going to be taught in film studies classes. It's going to be taught as a part of film history. And for good and ill, it, it is. it was kind of the launch. It was the launching of the MCU. It was the launching of our current kind of crop of superhero films. And this has been a a massive influence in the way that films are viewed, the way that films are made, what gets greenlit, what doesn't, all kinds of things. Um, And so the the first Iron Man and kind of the the inception of the MCU is, whether we like it or not, um, a a very important kind of moment in in film history and something that that should be studied. And honestly, you know, I I haven't looked at many film studies uh curriculum recently but i I have a feeling that it probably is being studied um because it is so important and because you kind of need to move forward with that there is there is always going to be this kind of pushback against popular culture and saying like well you know these aren't real movies or something that was like but they are i mean we don't have to like them but they are they're important (laughs) Yeah, yeah so so the first iron man and then and um you know, some of the other superhero films, but particularly that one, just because it it changed things in a way that probably even that film didn't know it was going to change. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And and is is a very important movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. Um, I don't know. For me, when I when I think about this type of question, I think about like the movies that I love that or the movies that I want people to see, you know, and like, oh, I can't believe you've never seen this. And I know some people would be like, oh, Shawshank Redemption, you know, and that kind of stuff. And for me, it's movies like the movies of of Nora Ephron and, you know, like some women who, Penny Marshall is another one, where I think that, like, what they've what they did for for women in the industry, even though they were definitely not even close to being the first as we have well established. But I think that they kind of helped women be, be welcomed a little bit more as mainstream directors. And so I think some of their films um, would definitely be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Catherine Bigelow, I think would be in that conversation too. 
Um, but looking at, at what we talk about now and what are the going to still be the movies that people are watching and talking about, you know, in 20, 30 years from now, which is crazy to think about the 2050s, you know, like what movies are people going to, are, are people even going to still watch movies in the 2050s? I don't know, but uh, it's depressing to think about, but I hope that movies like Nomadland will still be part yeah. of that, you know? Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say Power of the Dog is yeah. another one that I, I think is going to, and you know, time will tell, obviously, but it does feel like it, it's going to stand up against the test of time, that, that it is doing something different and important in the Western genre um, that is, is going to be something that people will come back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um... I'm just trying to think of like other ones too. I think movies like uh, um, Minari and mm-hmm. um, oh my gosh, Parasite is another one too. I, yeah. I think there's a lot of movies being made now that they're historically relevant right now and and they really matter to where the industry is headed. But I think they will continue to be movies like like what you're talking about with the original Iron Man. I think that. We're seeing certain films come out now that not only because they're making big strides with the Academy, but what they're doing um, for film, I think we're seeing kind of this this marking of a turning point in the types of movies that are being made, the types of movies that are being welcomed and, and seen. Yeah. And the rewards are, are a sign of that. They're not the reason for that. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah, even something like Turning Red. Yeah. Uh, which you know is, is an animated film. It's a kids movie, etc. But the the perspectives that we're actually beginning to get from and some of this is also the opening up of the industry. It's the acceptance of more people sure. um, and different types of people into the mainstream, um, and and it means that we're getting more of these kinds of stories. Where Turning Red, which we've talked about, you know, is is both a very universal story and a very specific story. And you can relate to it on a lot of different levels. And the fact of that is, is going to prove to be very important, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so let's jump back to, we actually threw in questions for each other. So, <laughs> um, so let's jump back to those. So Lauren, uh, is there an actor or director about whom your opinion has changed for better or worse since the show started? <laughs> I was I saw this when we opened the agenda. I was like, I gotta think about that a little bit. Um, <laughs> Ari Aster, actually, and and it's amazing to say, but but in in some of the discussions that we've had on this podcast, I remember when I went to see Hereditary, and and you guys had talked about Hereditary beforehand, and like I hadn't been able to join it because I hadn't seen it, and then I saw it, and I was more on the side of like, oh no, I think it's actually it does some interesting things, you know, I found it scary, et cetera. And then the more that I talked about it and thought about it, the more I was like, actually. <sighs> I think this might be bullshit. Um, and so, so yeah, my, so, and that being the first Ari Aster film that I think he made, uh, and also the first, the first of his that I had seen, I was like, uh, my, my opinion definitely shifted on that one. The yeah. other one, and I've, I've talked about him before, so I won't go into it much more, but it's Steven Spielberg. And I think that that's more about just the kind of decline of his career. 
um, in terms of what he is, what he's doing with his more contemporary films. Uh, to, to me, he's always been kind of this, this filmmaker that has been like, um, oh yeah, he's, he's one of the greats. And I think that he still is one of the greats, but his more recent output has, has been very disappointing. And uh, as I've said before, I think he's past it. Maybe. We'll so. see. I, I, I'm still hoping he's got one more good movie in there, but... Which I would applaud. Like, yeah. I, I'm just not expecting it anymore. Yeah, I know. Like, he's got Meet the Fablemans coming out this year, which is basically a, autobiogra- a semi-autobiographical account of his life. And I, there are things I like about it in theory, and there are things that really concern me about it. So we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. And then you had a question for me. Did you want to ask it? Which you kind of already answered, actually. Um, uh, yes, my, my question was, has this podcast changed the way you think about film? Um, and, and I was I was thinking more in terms of, uh, you know, film itself, not not necessarily the industry. Right, yeah. And, and that's why I feel like I kind of haven't really answered this yet. So, I mean, obviously the answer is yes, it has. Um, but specifically how, I, I because of getting to have these conversations with you every week and talking about lots of stuff like lots of different types of films and genres and and filmmakers that i hadn't even really known anything about before and getting to to listen to your recommendations and also just having the opportunity to do research and things it's definitely changed the way i think about film because i have a much better understanding it's still a lot to learn, but a much better understanding of film from the beginning, like going back to the late 1800s um, and and really understanding kind of how how the art of film came to be and and the early pioneers of that. And then getting to just really dive in and explore and examine, read a lot of things and have these conversations about themes and not just the not just the craft of making the film but really diving into what is being accomplished by films i feel like i look at those i feel like this podcast has really helped me be a better critic um without having a degree in film i took one film class in college um i feel like this has helped me to to kind of learn better how to read film and and how to how to process what i'm watching as i'm watching it yeah <laughs> so thank you I think, but i i i would agree with you i would agree with you as well in terms of my experience is that you know and, and like you said we come from different perspectives right but your knowledge of the your knowledge of the way the film industry actually works which is not something that i have paid attention to particularly because <laughs> it's all been about analysis to me um but and and the broader cultural impact, I think, of of that knowledge, right, I, is is so important, and definitely something that I've learned from doing all of this, um, is and kind of getting to have those different perspectives, those like approaches that I was just like, I did not even think that that was a thing that you could do. Okay, um, yeah. Ah, thanks. We're awesome. We are awesome. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. That's what this episode is about. It's about how awesome we are. It's really true. I mean, <laughs> why not? Because it, it, we are. 
Uh, okay, so let's see. Nanina asks, what are your favorite discoveries since the start of Citizen Dame? Movies, genres, directors, stars, new or old, but only things you didn't know about before the podcast started. Uh, would you like me to start? I, I can. Uh, sure. All right. Um, well, at, at this, this is something that I'm actually very ashamed of. I always knew that there were female filmmakers before like 1990. Um, I didn't really pay much attention to them and kind of, I was one of those people that, you know, said, oh, like a classic female filmmaker. I was like, oh, the only one I could think of is Lady Riefenstahl, um, which is a bad thing. We do not <laughs> want to, that's not the response that we want. No. <laughs> I, since this podcast started and particularly, and, I, and actually Nanina, who's my friend, um, has, has been an influence in this as well, uh, is has has been getting that that deeper knowledge of female filmmakers from the past people like Dorothy Arzner, um, Lois Weber, Alice Guy Blachet, uh, um, those those filmmakers who are kind of so important in the development of cinema and who made fantastic movies. That's that's the other thing. Like some of the films by Lois Weber that I've seen now, like The Blot are just such good films and makes me so mad that this was not something that was covered in my film classes. This was not something that was particularly talked about. You know, if we talked about female filmmakers, you were usually talking more about more contemporary filmmakers like, like Nora Ephron or, um, or Elaine May. Uh, but seeing some of those films, seeing The Blot, seeing um, Dorothy Arzner's Merrily We Go to Hell or Working Girls, uh, the, that's been a major kind of shift in my thinking and really, really important. I'm so glad that this podcast has kind of opened that up for me and um, and also made me very, like I say, very angry that this kind of thing has, has I feel like it's something that's been concealed from me and I'm mad about it. <laughs> yeah, I should have gone first so that it looked like you were copying me, but uh, my answer <laughs> is very much... It's very I had a feeling we'd be yeah. similar. <laughs> yeah, because like like you say, I knew that there were women involved in the industry back in you know back in the early in the early years of it, but I never knew their work. I never knew how to find their work, and never knew how amazing it was. And it it feels like we've been robbed of our own history um, because of this. And so yeah, like you mentioned, Alice Gee and and Lois Weber and, and Dorothy Arzner and Ida Lupino, like people like them, but also, you know, writers, uh, Francis Marion. I did, I had seen a couple of movies, but I did not know who she was or that she was involved, you know? And so getting to learn more about her, Wendy Toy, um, you know, just some of these early pioneering women that helped, helped bring the industry into you know into the 20th century and then of course it it went on from there but um but yeah just getting to getting to learn more about them and their contributions to film and then getting to actually see so many of their films has been my favorite thing it also has made me mad too but it's been my favorite thing because i feel like as as I, i'm sure i'm not related to any of these people genealogically but just as a woman, I feel like I'm tapping into my own history a little bit more. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's that reminder that, well, it is that reminder that we've always been here. Yeah. Um, you know, women make up 50% of the population. We've always been here. And the, the idea that women were not major contributors to film 
is really ridiculous when you think about it, right? You're just like, that doesn't make any sense. But but yeah, like, I'm glad you mentioned Francis Marion. The number of, uh, you know, this this podcast has also taught me to pay a lot more attention to the some of the below the line things. Yeah. So not just who directed the film. And and again, I've been one of those people who's been very, like I'm very director centric. I still am. Um, but to pay attention to like, oh, you know, like it's interesting, man directed this film, but it's got like three female screenwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked before that you can almost always tell when a film has, has at least had one female contributor <laughs> because the women talk to each other the way that women actually talk to each other. Uh, and almost, almost without fail, you look it up, you're like, yep, female screenwriter. Yep. Almost every single time when it doesn't happen, it's a surprise. Yeah, exactly. Like, and how did they get that right? <laughs> which is impressive. You know, it's just like, good on you guys. Like yeah, you yeah. probably had a wife who edited the script for you. Right. Um, but in but, addition to the writers, it's the editors. It's, yeah. it's all these other industries or parts of the, the process that are not costume and makeup, you know? Yeah, There's exactly. women all over film. And I just never really paid that much attention either. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely been a favorite. Uh, okay, and let's see. From Paula Fangirls, what are your three most anticipated movies set to come out later this year? That's question one. I I was struggling with this because I was like, what movies are supposed to come out? And also because I'm the the, the sad person who's not been actually going to movie theaters. Um, so I still really anticipate the unbearable weight of massive talent uh, <laughs> and the Northmen, even though those films are out. I am very much anticipating them because uh, I really want to see them. The the other one is I think the new Thor movie is coming mm-hmm. out. And yes, I I well, I think it's coming out this year, right? It's like later yes, on in is. the summer. July. And I am excited about that uh, solely because of of Taika, obviously. Mm-hmm. But but also like I just I've enjoyed the Thor movies, and um, yeah, that's that's actually one that Marvel would kind of get me. I admit yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's one of mine too. Uh, it comes out July eighth, and I cannot wait. I've seen the teaser trailer, which is just so much fun i saw the teaser last night or yesterday when i went and saw doctor strange and i was just like this looks so good i can't wait it just it what i love is that the trailer doesn't really give anything away about the story it just is the vibes of the movie and that seems like the perfect way to sell a marvel movie so um another of mine also comes out in july that is nope the new film from jordan peele don't know what it's about looks like it's about aliens can't wait it looks so much fun daniel kaluuya is in it um steven young uh yeah it looks like a a pretty fun cast and also i mean it's jordan and peel so i i just even though my feelings on us were kind of mixed I really love what he does as a filmmaker and I'm just he's one that it's like I'll I'll always be excited for a Jordan Peele movie even if the end result ends up not being like you know what I was hoping for so yeah definitely um, yeah and then my other one is I have I actually have a few that are coming out this fall that I'm looking forward to but one that uh came out at or was was uh premiered at Sundance and I'm really looking forward to is Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Have you heard about this? 
I have not heard about this at all. <laughs> it is um it is a movie with Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall. And basically they are this husband and wife who run a mega church in the South. And there's some kind of a scandal that befalls the husband and so then they're basically just trying to like rebuild the the church but i've heard that it is crazy it's a comedy uh, i mean with a title like that how can it not be a comedy um but it just from everything i've heard i just i and plus with that cast i just cannot wait i'm really looking forward to that so that'll be out in september interesting yeah so let's see um we also she also asked do you watch any reality TV? Because for me, 90 Day Fiance hits. Do you watch any reality TV? I don't. Not unless you count the, the Great British Bake Off as reality TV. Um, which Yes. I mean, okay, so that's, <laughs> that is reality TV. Yes, I watch that religiously and I, I rewatch it religiously as well. Yeah. Um, because it makes me feel warm and happy and joyful. But other than that, not, not really. It's I have in the past watched 90 Day Fiance. Um, my, my former roommate uh, many years ago really got into it. And so I kind of got into watching it with him. <laughs> And it, and I was always like, I am both uncomfortable and fascinated right now. <laughs> um, yeah. I, um, I used to watch RuPaul's Drag Race, which I oh, haven't watched okay. in a couple of years, but, mm -hmm. um, but I always enjoyed that as well. Nice. Yeah. I do watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Um, I, I don't necessarily, well, I don't enjoy it, but I enjoy how angry I get watching it. I might be a little bit of a rangeaholic. I don't know. Um, <laughs> of that. Yeah. I love I, that. It's just like, I, this makes me uncomfortable and I hate it. So, but I watch it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, I actually enjoy getting all riled up watching this stupid show. Like it really, I don't think it's a problem because I don't, I don't like do damage <laughs> as a result of the rage. It's like, I just need a, need that outlet and it provides that. So that's why I'm still watching. Plus these people are just crazy and it's kind of a little bit fun to laugh at, at how crazy they are, but mostly I just get increasingly angry at the producers for whatever they're doing with that show. So I watched that one. I also watched great British bake off. Uh, I have been watching love is blind on Netflix um, which is a terrible show, and I, I that's one that I just love to laugh at. So the premise <laughs> on that one is is these people start off the it's a bunch of men and a bunch of women, they can't see each other. They sit in these pods and talk to each other through a wall. I'm like, uh, this is basically just like phone dating back in the back in the day. Like, call this number and be connected to live singles in your area. You know, <laughs> like that's basically what this is. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> and so then they eventually like pick people if they, if they click with anyone and then they can get engaged before seeing each other. And then like the whole rest of the show is basically them. Like the, it ends with them at the altar deciding if they want to get married or not. Um, and it's so dumb. It's so dumb. But there's just some, there's just this like can't look away quality to it. Uh -huh. that watching. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any others that I watch. Not really. Um, I used to watch Deadliest Catch. I used to be really into that. And I don't know, in the Trump era, I kind of lost interest in watching stuff about big burly men who 
yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And let's see. From Allie, what is your most anticipated show premiere of the month? And why is it season two of The Wilds on Prime? (laughs) Uh, I am looking forward to The Wilds because season one was pretty good. It's, um, do you know that show? I don't know. I am woefully behind on a lot of television. Yeah, so The Wild is basically, um, it was funny when when uh, Yellow Jackets first hit because it seemed similar to The Wild-ish, um, because it's about these girls that are marooned, but it turns out that it wasn't really an accident, like, they're kind of, they're, they're being watched, so it's, um, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. I don't want to give anything away, because, you know. You should just watch it. It's a crazy show. Um, it's really good. And I, too, am looking forward to, to season two. There's so much coming out this month, though. It's kind of driving me nuts because <laughs> it's like May 31st is the deadline to get your stuff out before uh, to be eligible for the Emmys this year. Uh... And it's so many things waited until these last couple of weeks. And so it's just like, ah, it's too much. It's too much. I wish that I could say I was looking forward to the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. I don't really care about it. I'll watch it, but I'm not really that excited. I love um, how you're like, well, I'll watch it. I'll watch the whole thing. I'll enjoy it. Whatever. I, I might enjoy it. I, that's the thing is like with what I do for film, like in film and TV, it's like I kind of feel like I have to watch this stuff. Mm-hmm. I know I don't specifically, but I kind of feel like it. So. There's a lot of things where I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a try, even if I have no hope for it being good whatsoever. Um, but we'll see. And then um, I did start watching The Staircase, which premiered on Thursday. Um, and that is based on the real story of Michael Peterson, who may or may not mur- have murdered his wife, Kathleen. Um, she was found dead at the bottom of the stairs in their house. And it's just such a, it's been such a wild story. And he was charged with the murder. This is all real life. So spoilers for actual history and news events. Um, But he, he was charged with murder. He was convicted. The sentence was eventually commuted. So I think he might be out now. I can't remember. But anyway, the story is really weird. And there's been so many true crime podcasts and things about it because there is enough doubt that I wonder how he actually got convicted. Um, because so many, not everything, but so many of the things, uh, circumstances surrounding Kathleen's death could be explained away. But uh-huh. also the things that can't be, there's really no proof that he's the one that did it. You know what I mean? So it's hmm. just, it's so much circumstantial evidence. And I think he probably is the one that did it, but also that doesn't mean that I could like vote to convict him. You know what I uh-huh. mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's such a weird, it's such a weird story. And um, yeah. And I really wish that people with the last name Peterson would stop murdering their wives because it sucks. <laughs> oh, you got like a double whammy, Karen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have like, oh, it's Aww. the worst. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so you. sorry. Through no fault of your own. Just like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, we got another question. This was from, this actually came through on Instagram from Gamecock Mitch. In honor of 200 episodes, aka your own bicentennial, 
How about a top five movies from the year 1976? Okay, so in in order to do this, I was like going through the the list. I, I this is this is nothing against the question. I am always uncomfortable with top five or top ten lists because I'm like, but but that one would be rated higher than that. But <laughs> but is that that's a better horror film? But it's not a drama. You know, is it a better film? Mm-hmm. Um, that that kind of thing. So I think I I think when I do mine, I will just give like some top ones that I yeah. like. Let's just do that. Let's just give some of our favorite movies that came out in 1976. Um, well, the the big one, as far as I'm concerned, is Taxi Driver. That's a 1976 film. Um, and yeah, like that's... Mm-hmm. That's one of the best, I think, films that was made that year, definitely. Um, for me, it's Network. I love Network. Oh, Network, yeah. Mm, yeah, Network is so good. So, so, so good. That one is, to me, my favorite. It's weird because I've seen a lot of movies from the 70s, but I haven't seen that many from 1976. Well, it's interesting what is, you know, what was actually made in 1976 versus not. Um, Actually, a film that I watched last night apparently was made in 1976, which I think is fantastic. It it has its problems, but it's a really interesting kind of revisionist Western. Um, Buffalo Bill and the Indians or Sitting Bull's History Lesson. And this is uh, a Robert Altman film from 76, starring Paul Newman as, as Buffalo Bill. And it's very much about kind of the view, the view that America takes of itself and our myth-making and history-making. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating film. It's on Criterion Channel right now, actually. Hmm. Cool. Um, I, I have issues with the story, but I do quite enjoy Carrie. Yeah, that's a good one. Sissy Spacek. Um, That one's good. Let's see. Uh, Mikey and Nikki Mm -hmm. from 1976, the Elaine May film, which is, when you compare it to the other films that Elaine May made, you're kind of like, this is the same director and writer and everything. And it's very, very different, but it, it is fantastic. You know, talking about women understanding the way that, that women talk to each other, women understanding the way that men talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I quite enjoy Silent Movie from Mel Brooks. It is very funny. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. It really is a silent movie. And the only person in the entire movie that says anything is Marcel Marceau. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, what's another? Oh, the killing of a Chinese bookie, um, which is the the John Cassavetes film from 1976, and that that one again that was on I think it stars Ben Gazzara, and um, that was on Criterion Channel for a while. I don't know if it still is, but it it is a fantastic like you know talking about revisionism. Uh, it's sort of a a re a revisionist version of a film noir, and it's it's very very good. Cool. And okay, yes, I actually really do like Rocky. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> it's a good film. It is. Rocky is a good film. Like I feel like Rocky kind of kinds of gets kind of gets treated as like, oh, it's you know the best film or whatever. Um, and so we we sort of assume that oh, it, it actually might not be that good, but it actually like the first one is a really well made film. It really is. Yeah, it's the the whole story arc that or the narrative arc of it. Um, the character development is really good and and. Um, and 
I actually really like the fact that he doesn't win. Spoiler alert for Rocky. <laughs> but he doesn't win in the first movie, and I love that. <laughs> well, because the, the film sets it up like he's going to win. Like, you're just like, oh, this is, you know, an underdog story and everything. It's just mm -hmm. like, it's an underdog story in which the underdog loses. Yeah. Because Apollo Creed actually is a great boxer. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. But it's I like the fact that it still feels triumphant. It's not like... You know, because Rocky winning loses. that, yeah, because winning that match was not the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any others? I'm trying to think if there are any others. I feel like that there's probably like a Giallo film that I am forgetting about or something, um, but that I'm blanking on at the moment. It's got to be from '76. Like. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of looking through the list and like there's so many movies I just never saw. And then there's other ones it's like I saw them but I didn't necessarily like them or I don't remember them. Oh, well, I have to give a shout. I didn't realize that this was 76 for some reason. I thought it was a little bit earlier. Um, I have to give a shout out to my man, Alfred Hitchcock. His last film was released in 1976, Family Plot. If you have not seen Family Plot, watch it. I think it is one of the best kind of, it's it's so good. The way that, the fact that he's going out, right? And he didn't know that he wasn't going to make another film. But it, it feels like such a wonderful capper to a career. Um, and is so fun and so weird. And is just, just like hilarious and bizarre and... Um, and it stars like Barbara Harris and Bruce Dern and Karen Black. <laughs> it's just very 1970s and and very kind of low key in a lot of ways for a Hitchcock film, but it is so well done. Nice. I have not seen that. That is one that eludes me. I will. You need to we'll see make it. it up to you. See it. Okay. All right. Well, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with one more thing. Um, I, we haven't done this in such a long time. I thought we should definitely do a fuck, Mary kill, um, for our 200th episode. So, um, I have three names I plucked from the MCU in honor of Dr. Strange being out this weekend, <laughs> which we don't need to talk about. My review is up on the website though. I actually wrote and published it in the week that the movie came out. So go me. Um, Anyway, so, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. So, fuck, marry, and kill. Doctor Strange, Thor, and Nakia, who is Lupita Nyong'o from Black Panther. Ooh. Well, definitely going to kill Doctor Strange. Sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. <laughs> uh, I think, mar no, marry Thor, because I think Thor would be a great husband. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, and then, then fuck Nakia. <laughs> yeah I, I think that's i think that's where i'd go to yeah <laughs> all right well i have one that you're gonna hate me for um just because i was like trying to think what are things that karen would just be like so mad at me for listing these things um these <laughs> these people and so my my fuck Mary kill take a watiti uh -huh. tom cruise and kate blanchett oh my gosh <laughs> oh shit Shit, that's mean. I that's I thought it would. I thought it would be very mean. Um. Wow. <laughs> huh. Uh. 
This is really, this is really hard for me. Um, because I, yeah, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, because I want to fuck all of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, let's see. Uh, well, I will marry Tom because even when it doesn't work out, I'll get a heck of a divorce settlement. Plus, I'll also have been married to Tom Cruise. Good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I gotta, I gotta fuck Taika. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to kill Kate Blanchett, but I, I think I have to. How could you? How could you? I know. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one, though, because that was exceptionally yes. hard. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be nasty. She's going to be mad at me. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Thank you. Um, yes. All right. Any Any final thoughts before we close things up? Watch more movies, as we continuously say. Uh, I think we, we so definitely we definitely need to put that on a button in a T-shirt. It's it's happening. Yeah. It's happening, and yes. Well, I think it is on a T-shirt already, which you can get in our Zazzle store. The buttons are coming though, so yes. Um, and speaking of our Zazzle store, you can support us by going to zazzle.com/slash/citizendamepod and finding all kinds of fun stuff in our store. We do have T-shirts. We have um, we do have some buttons. We have some other just merch, so you can go find stuff there. And we've been promising new stuff, and it's coming. And it's it's been a lot. I'm the semester's winding down. I work at a school, and so I'll have lots of time very soon. Um, yeah. Um, uh, but we also want to thank our patrons who help make this show run and have helped support us over these last two hundred episodes and and uh. They are Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Carriotta, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for helping us um, keep the show going and, and doing the things that we need to do and making it possible. If you'd like to join them and become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and join uh, we have three, five, and seven dollar tiers with different perks associated with them. And, um, and yeah, and you can ask us questions if you have any. So it's also, that's, that is another great way to communicate with us too, is through our Patreon. Uh, we also have our Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. If you want to send in a couple dollars, but you don't want a commitment and you don't want merchandise, that's cool too. We have our website. Like I mentioned, uh, my Doctor Strange review is there. There's some other stuff coming. Lauren had a review up this week, too. And that is citizendamepod.com. And you can email us, citizendamepod at gmail.com. We're also on social media. At Twitter and Instagram, we are at citizendamepod. And on Letterboxd, we are at citizendame. You can also find us individually. Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at lhbusiness. And I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that's it. And we will be back next week with more fun stuff to talk about. Hopefully less garbage people. We'll see. And um, yeah, so that's it. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Now let's all vote. 
Men, who think we should outlaw abortion forever? Say aye. aye. And who's opposed? Nay. I'm just playing. I know I can't vote, but you know, more is gonna be more. So you know. <laughs> uh, you ever get the feeling that this not gonna be your century? <laughs> My God, an ogre. No, no, just a woman in her thirties. 